0: Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you're looking for any type of batteries, whether it's for your truck, your car, your trail cameras, your rangefinder, stop into a local Interstate Batteries retail location. There are thousands upon thousands of them all over the United States. Talk with a battery specialist and get the batteries that you need to go on with your life. Interstate batteries outrageously dependable this is the nine finger chronicles podcast brought to you by vortex optics what's up everybody happy hump day and we are one day closer to November. And I know that a lot of you guys who are listening right now are getting ready to start using some vacation time. You're probably starting to uh, get real antsy to get into the timber uh, during the week after work. Maybe, you know, begging the wife to get out and uh, uh, hunt as much as possible this time of year. Here's what I'm going to say. This time of year can be good if you have a deer uh on the radar already. If you don't, it's going to get good and it's going to get good really soon, man. We got like a week until what I think like the first 3 days, maybe 4 days in November are uh kind of slow. I mean, they kind of remind me of late October, especially where I hunt, but Every single day closer to this uh, November seventh time frame, things are just going to start ramping up and ramping up, and then they're going to stay good for I don't know. This is this is me talking from where I hunt. Things are going to start getting really good from that November seventh to that November fifteenth time frame, and then so that's going to be really hot. But then the the movement slows down, but the encounters with the big bucks really start to happen um if i was to check my go back and check all my trail camera data i would say that november uh 15th through the 25th are when the big dogs are on their feet constantly they they almost turn into that three-year-old the early season three-year-old who comes into rattling then these deer are looking for their third or fourth doe Uh, They're really starting to put on the miles. They're up all day. They turn into those zombies where they're just nose to the ground walking through the the timber looking for the last available doe. So um, if if you can be just a patient a couple more days, things are going to start breaking loose uh, all across the country, man. And uh, I know that's a, a general statement because some of you guys live in the south and the south has a completely different rut or some of you guys live in the northeast or or out west or wherever and everything's a little bit different but that's just my experience from my small ecosystem here in Iowa but man I tell you what this episode today is a really good one and it's I, I am talking with Brian Dunlap and Brian is my Michigan contact right so he's the guy that I communicated with in order to you know he kind of helped me out uh do some digital scouting point me in the right direction when I made my trip to Michigan so today I talk with him about this this idea that he's had where he he's been hunting on private ground for a very long time he's been very successful doing it and then something just kind of switched in him and he's like I want to go hunt hunt public in michigan and uh this this is his story i guess this is how he is how he's taking his success from public land or from private land in michigan and how he's going to use that to hopefully be successful on public ground in michigan and we talk a lot about pressure in this episode so keep your ears open because he does a really good job of explaining how he uses pressure from other hunters to put himself in a better position and he's already done it a couple times he got real close early season to where he split the difference on two other hunters and um, he calls it the in-between spots where you're you're hunting these spots within a bigger area where he knows so so he's almost hunting other hunters right he's using where other hunters are located to put himself in these in-between positions where the deer can move where they're not you know these guys who have been on these other two sides of this area uh, or you know generally speaking uh, where these deer are slipping through and uh he's had some pretty good encounters this uh earlier in October and I know this dude's a grinder and he's going to get it done on uh, on uh, public in Michigan so hopefully you guys are able to take something away from this episode and I think it's a really good episode for anybody who hunts high-pressured ground and you know I think a lot of us really confuse high pressure when, when I say high pressure or pressured ground Everybody seems to think that that automatically is public. Well, I know some guys who hunt some high-pressured private ground. I hunt some pressured private ground myself. Is it pressured to the point of... Like out east or Michigan or Pennsylvania or New York, no. But deer also react different to pressure in those scenarios. And uh, we talk a little bit about that as well. So I'm going to quit talking about that and I'm going to let you guys listen because I, I really do think it's a good episode to listen to right before we get into the rut. And if you're sharing a property with other guys, you might need to learn how to flank them. And uh, that's what we talk about today, ob- amongst other things. But uh, today, we're going to be talking, uh, the commercial is Wasp Archery. Now, dude, I talk about these guys with, I guess, uh, a passion when I talk about them. Because I know the people who work for this company. And not only are they passionate about the design and, uh, and functionality and engineering and the process of building the actual broadheads, but these guys are passionate about using those broadheads out in the field. So, um, the first thing that I'm going to say is if you're looking for a new broadhead, whether it is a fixed blade or mechanical, go to wasparchery.com and take a a look at their mechanical broadheads and their fixed blade broadheads. They, they offer uh, both types. I'm a huge fan of the boss four blade, uh, fixed blade and the jackhammer three blade mechanical Uh, that's actually what I decided to use on my setup this year so I'm packing the uh, jackhammer mechanical it's not too late to pick up some broadheads and if you do decide to Uh, Pick some up at wasparchery.com. You can save 20% off your purchase by entering the discount code 9FINGERS2020. And that's the number 9 followed by the word FINGERS2020 with no spaces. And that's going to save you 20%. Badass company. They have some made-in-America products. And, uh, man, just really enjoy the company. And, uh, lastly, the material that they use to make their heads is number one. Like, they don't skimp with some cheap aluminum or cheap steel it's just the best of the best material so uh, that's why i love using their heads and i've been using wasp broadheads for pff, 13 years i think it's been i've bounced around in between then but I'll always find myself coming back to wasp. so there's that, there's the intro, please subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, please subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation, follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and enjoy this episode with my new friend, Brian Dunlap. In three, two, one, alright, on the phone with me today, my new friend from Michigan, Mr. Brian Dunlap. Brian, what's up man? Oh, just been grinding away, how are you doing Dan? Oh, I've been doing the opposite, right? I've, I have, see, we're recording this on a Sunday and, um, I've just, a huge cold front came through Iowa and I knew it was still somewhat early as far as deer movement is concerned. So I just kind of played my cards, what I thought was right, and just sat ba- back until tonight. I told my wife, hey, man, I'm, I'm going hunting tonight. And, uh, so I haven't even been in a tree stand since I left Michigan, and tonight, the 25th of October is my first official Iowa sit. So uh, I'm pretty excited uh, about uh, what could possibly happen tonight, man. Heck yeah, yeah. Heck so yeah,
1: I'm a. Like i am a like told you before, I hunt pretty much every day, so I've still been grinding away. Yeah. And I've, been seeing a pickup in the action here the last couple days.
0: That's good, man. That's good. And we're going to get into all of this and a little bit about your story here in, uh, in just a little bit. But um, I kind of got to let everybody know, you know, when I when I made this announcement that I was going to Hunt Michigan, you were one of the first people, I would say, to reach out to me and kind of approached this in you approached me in a different way that I really found exciting because a lot of people were saying, I want to put you in this place or I want to you to hunt on my farm or I want you to do this with me. And you kind of approached it a different way where it's like, hey man, I got some decent deer in the area. I can point you not necessarily to a specific location, but to an area right a big area and let you do what you do and I really thought that was awesome and that's kind of how we started uh, communicating um, through I think it was either Facebook or Instagram and then we started texting each other and you played a huge role in um, me breaking down which part of the state I you know said I was gonna I was gonna hunt in And, um, where I was going to go and the area and you you just kind of, you drove me around that first day. So the first thing I want to say to you, man, is, is thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule to help, uh, you know, help me out when I was coming up there.
1: Well, yeah, like I told you, I, I like to help people anyways, but, uh, I thought you you having some suspects here would be great for the outlook on Michigan hunting, which, Which of course we've talked about and I told you I kind of have a problem with. But uh, <laughs> I I I wanted to see you do good, and I thought that it could be a good thing for for the outlook on Michigan. Yeah, absolutely. wasn't able to put you on, on a buck, but you know that's really tough anywhere in three days. Yeah, especially in a state like Michigan where where even every year I got to grind pretty pretty hard to to get after bucks. You know. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. So let me ask you this. Um, you, you just mentioned it there. So we'll cut through a little bit of it. And you said you wanted to somehow change the outlook on Michigan. The first question, it's kind of a two-part question here, but the first question is, what do you feel the outlook, like the the general outlook of hunting in Michigan is or the perspective? And then what is your perspective on the state of Michigan?
1: Well, what you hear the most is, is, you know, most of the crying. That's what you hear in any situation or any large culture. Which Michigan is a Michigan's hunting is is a large culture. But uh, yeah, it's you know, it's brown. It's down. You hear nothing but year and a half old bucks, and and that that's a fact for for the majority of the state. But I grew up and all hunting and all i watched was year and a half bucks for the first six five six years of of hunting starting at 12 i never seen anything over a year and a half and i watched how i changed and how things could change just one person on a farm you know nobody else changed everybody was still killing year and a half old bucks and i seen the possibility and and over the years i started studying it more and paying attention to other states and and i know we have what it takes to have a better big buck population in michigan gotcha so but before but but before we get into all that though i I do want to say like i do not have a problem with anybody being happy with shooting an, an animal like i'm not i'm not here to push and say Michigan hunting isn't good because everybody shoots small bucks or anything like that, because I think that we should all shoot exactly what we want to shoot and what makes us happy. But I'm saying the pop, the possibility for everybody's hunting to be better, who wants better hunting, who wants bigger deer it's here.
0: Yeah. You may just have to work a little bit harder at it than a guy would, let's say in a different state.
1: A little bit harder and, and maybe a little bit different too. You know, maybe the everything you hear on podcasts or from somebody in Illinois or Wisconsin or, or anywhere other than here, it, you there might be
0: there might be some more tactics that yeah. to be successful. Perfect. And and I definitely want to talk about that, uh, today. And I think again, you know, when I was on the uh, podcast with Mark, uh, last week, we talked a little bit about, you know, strategies and tactics and if those strategies and tactics can, you know, cross borders and cross regions. And if they'll, you know, if they work in Iowa, can they work in, in Michigan and whatnot. But I think the real story here is, um, and uh, this is what I'm, I'm most intrigued about you per se is you've had a lot of success with above average deer in the state of Michigan on private land. And within the last, what was it two or three years you've decided you wanted to pay attention, not necessarily give up private 100%, but start scouting and hunting on public land in Michigan and not just Public land, but high pressured public land in Michigan, and any guy out there would be like, "What is this guy doing? Why is he walking away? Not necessarily walking away, but spending less time on his on his you know good farms and going to some place that you're gonna find less success, you know, on average." So what I, what I want to ask you is why?
1: Well, it actually it actually started just this January. Okay. Because up till January this year, I had a couple buddies of mine talk me into finally listening to a podcast and up till January, I never listened to a podcast and I got to read something six or seven times to catch half of it. So I've never read into hunting. Everything I've learned has been the hard way, watching white tails bounce away from me, you know? Right. So I started listening to podcasts early this year and it. Oh, really inspired me to get out there and start checking out some public okay and pretty well I started out listening to you and Mark on Wired to Hunt yeah and and I really enjoyed it and uh you know I'm a I'm a nut about deer hunting year round and it was just another thing to basically sit at work and still be involved with deer hunting and that that inspired me to check out the the public hunting yeah I've been pretty successful and on my private over the years and neighboring private i've had to move around and i'm not definitely not done there but i'm ready to tackle something different i guess i'm ready to to try something out of for years i started out hunting i never i shot the first probably uh, i don't know exactly six seven deer that i shot i, I never seen that buck before i shot it it Come along, first time I seen it, I shot that buck. And then I started to want to get to know a deer, start to find a deer before I shot it when trail cameras first come about. And I had the old film cameras, the first one I had. and So that, that was a new goal for me, and that lasted for quite a while, and I became successful at that. And I think this is just, just another way to break away and try something new
0: again. Gotcha. So what was it? specifically about this this public land challenge that really intrigued you to spend a lot of time this spring this winter doing all this scouting, learning the terrain, learning the um, uh, the areas that these deer lived in and uh, you know and their patterning and the deer themselves. So over
1: over the last 10 years, I've been really successful at targeting a buck, knowing exactly what I was going after that year. And pretty much all of them years, it was only one buck. And that was really fun. That was something I wanted. Like I said, when I was younger, I wanted to do that. And then, I, and then I was doing that. And I was successful doing that for a long time. And just here the last couple of years, I've been joking around with some buddies and saying, man, I'm going to. I'm gonna quit using trail cameras. I want to go out like I was young again and just sit out there. Know I'm in a good spot. Know that there's good deer here, and just that anticipation, that hair standing up on the back of your neck constantly of what could come by. And so that that was a big big drive of when I started listening to the podcast and started hearing about public more about public land and whatnot. It was like, man, I could I could have that right there, and I. I used some trail cameras this summer when I got into the scouting, just to find big deer in an area. But I didn't—I put them way out in in areas I didn't plan on hunting, just to know that a big deer was there. And then I could go down into these areas and, and just kind of hunt the area and sure, be, try something a lot different than what I've done in the past, and not know exactly the deer and everything I know about the deer, because for the past 10 years. Well, the buck I shot last year, I watched that buck for five years. I knew everything but his Social Security number, you know? Right. So, it was just, I guess, trying new things, trying to take on new uh, challenges, I guess, would be the biggest motivation.
0: Gotcha. All right, so as you started getting into uh, this, this whole scouting routine, Right. And, you know, going and checking out the areas, trying to get some trail cam- uh, big bucks on trail camera. You know, you also did some driving around and, you know, videoing of deer uh, that were in the fields. What did you start to learn about the areas that you were scouting and how how maybe deer were, were using these areas, you know, from a maybe a bed to food pattern or a a big, you know. I guess a uh, like a uh, a big cycle because sometimes deer go not necessarily bed to feed all the time. Sometimes they'll they'll do a three day cycle where maybe you won't catch them on trail camera for two or three days and then they're back or three or four days. Yeah, and, and that's,
1: that's what I see most often in Michigan, and I think that has a lot to do with the the pressure. Even if a spot did work out for a deer three or four days in a row and he didn't get bumped or smell somebody just knowing that he's never been able to stay in one spot forever and not get bumped. I, I think that forces that rotation that you're talking about.
0: Right. But, so so they go to a safe spot, they get bumped, they go to another safe spot, they get bumped, then they come back to their safe spot. So it's just kind of a this, this big cycle that they go through. You know, okay. But
1: I don't think they have to get bumped either. I think just, out of the characteristics of being that wired deer that's always ready for something. Cause it's constantly happening. Even if it worked out for that night or the, a couple nights in a row, he just knows that, man, if I stay here long enough, something's going to get after me, I'm going to be on to the next bed. Gotcha. I think that wind will also influence that. But even if I think if everything stayed the same, the wind, the weather for two weeks straight, that deer ain't going to stay in the same bed for over a couple of days even if he doesn't get kicked out of it.
0: Gotcha. Cuz the
1: history of being able to do that there is no history of that happening for that deer here in Michigan.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So as you started doing this, what else did you notice about maybe the deer herd in general or how they how they act during the summer months leading up into the opening the opening week? Oh, why
1: first started to notice is that it really wasn't any different than private at first listened to a lot of podcasts throughout since january i had this idea that everything was going to be a lot different and it it really wasn't it was exactly what i've always known just the only thing that changes is you got this large this massive area that is just the whole thing is extremely great deer habitat Yeah. thick as can be uh, swamps and, and the brows and uh, even in the hardwoods and if you can see 50 yards somewhere <laughs> you're lucky you know and that's what i noticed to be different is there's just more for the deer to hide in in one area
0: okay and um, now a lot of guys that- a lot of guys would listen to what you just said and uh, say private is you said private was roughly the, it's the same as public. A lot of guys would call bullshit on that and say, Hey dude, I, I uh, public land is tremendously more diff- difficult to hunt and tremendously. Uh, the deer movement on private is, or uh, public is way more difficult to pattern than on public to those people. What would you have to say?
1: Well, so I pay a lot more attention to the people that hunt around me than the deer. When I go into an area, like I said, I put some trail cameras out just to know that deer were in an area. I put them out in the crop fields where where I wasn't going to bother them where I wanted to go at them. But I, I, what I noticed was well, – so what <laughs> – Sorry, I get a little lost
0: sometimes. What was the exact question again? So for for the guys who call bullshit on public and being, you know, private, being the same, you know, like you you said that, you know, you know, you know, hunting private and hunting public is really a, really oh, the same.
1: Okay. Yeah. So what I was getting to was I, I watched the people who hunt around me more than I watched the deer. Okay. When I go into an area... I think about well I know there's a couple guys over here and I know there's I've seen some guys over here I'm gonna try to slide into here because a deer people give deer too much credit I think and a deer is is really simple a deer does really just a couple things a deer survives and reproduces and how it survives is obviously how it gets food and water and how it steers clear of predators. So, people say deer are a lot smarter in Michigan. I just think they're educated differently because a deer's education is gonna be the result of the area that that deer has grown up in. So these deer in these huge areas, these uh, public chunks, have all this great habitat to hide in, and they got a buttload of hunters running around them. So I watch the hunters. I see what they're doing, where they're going, Find the little in-betweens because them deer are still there. They still exist, and they're not just going to lay on their butt till 10 minutes after dark every day. They're going to get up and move a little bit. You just got to find them in-betweens. So that's that's why I say that sometimes you got to quit hunting deer and look at the bigger picture. How is that deer staying alive? He's avoiding us. He's avoiding hunters. So think about how a deer would think. I'm going to stay away from hunter's. I don't mean you got to go way to the back. I've had my best sit this year on public right on top of the, the access path that everybody walks to get back to this thick, nasty, awesome chunk. Yeah.
0: I think that's a good that story. Actually tell, tell that because was this the, the example of your, you basically hunt in between two guys. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Break and, that down for us because I, I think that's a really good story of, or an example of how you don't have to go five miles deep just to get to the big bucks.
1: Yep, you know, and this was also I also was using my own pressure and thinking about my own pressure at the same time. So the first couple of days I snuck in to this area and I went down there a little deeper, and I got on three three really nice Michigan bucks, three really nice bucks anywhere, but. I got on these bucks, and I was just able to, what I did the first morning is I I, sat up above, away from everything, just glassing over a field, and I seen these bucks go to bed. I watched where they go into bed, and I already knew where some people were sitting on the other side of where they went into bed, and on, on the opposite side of that. So, like you said, I found that in between. I got down in there, and I got after them the first couple nights. But I think on the third one, the biggest buck caught my wind. Okay. So I also used my own pressure to know that these bucks are going to be doing something a little different. And I, but I didn't know what, so on the fourth sit down there, this buck came out of the field. And there's some big swales out in this field. And then at first I thought, wow, that, that buck came from the swales out in this field. He's, he's avoiding me staying out in this field. So I got down from that hunt and on my walk out, I walked over to some scrapes and seen that they were freshly freshly opened up from when I walked in. And so I kinda of changed my mind and thought, well, this buck must be coming from this clear cut over here. Hitting these scrapes on the way to the field then made his way down to the low spot in the field where I where I was hunting. So he's doing the same thing every day, just every day it was changing a little bit due to pressure. So when I seen them scrapes freshened up, I thought, he's he's crossing right over this access path before everybody's walking back out. And sure as could be, that's I sat there the next, next time the wind was good a couple of days later, and that buck walked right underneath me. But, of course, I was already getting ready to lower my bow down by the time him and his two buddies made it there. So it's just bouncing off my own pressure and every other everybody else's pressure that's that's what i'm looking at him i know the deer's in the area but i'm more or less hunting the people
0: right so in a way he's he's betting in roughly the same spot and he's roughly going to the same destination food source at the end of the day and how he gets there is the chess match right Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. A little different every day is what I see. Okay. So, you know, you've been like you hunt every day. Then and to the listener, you know, that's not an understatement. Brian here hunts every single day. So, <laughs> in this season so far, what is, you know, you just shared an awesome example with us about how deer are affected by pressure and how, you know, it's almost like, hey, they, they know where the hunters are at, and then it's just a matter of them getting through that pressure at some point and not get, getting killed, right? So in yeah. since October 1st of this year, while you've been hunting, what have your encounters told you, and what have you learned about hunting this, this, uh, this high-pressure public? Oh, pretty much
1: a lot different than what you hear from most people. And I'm going to back to the same same thing, that it's not any different than what I've learned about my private, is you're not going to run a buck out of an area in Michigan especially. People think that a high-pressure area, you have to be more careful. But I think in a high-pressure area, you can actually get away with more if you do it right okay because deer in a high pressure area are going to deal with human presence a lot better than a deer in Kansas who doesn't deal with human presence ever right okay wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't you, wouldn't you think a deer that has to deal with human pressure on a daily basis is going to be less apt to run a mile 2 miles off because he just got bumped yeah than a deer in a yeah. state like kansas let's say yeah he doesn't ever deal with that
0: i talked but to mark about this most of
1: the time opposite of that yeah
0: it's i talked to thought, mark about this uh, the other day and uh on, on the last podcast i did with him and i said i said man i really feel that if a deer who gets bumped or pressured every single day he's not going to run five miles he's going to go back into his little honey hole and he's just going to wait right He's going, he's, yeah, he's gonna do the
1: same thing he yeah. does every other time he gets yeah. bumped. It's almost a routine that he's got down better
0: than, than a deer who doesn't have to deal with this right. daily. And I feel like in Iowa, if I bump a deer, he's gone. I mean, I've I've bumped uh, a target buck one time. He, I don't know wh- what why he did what he did, but he came up way behind me one day i watched him catch my scent and that was the last time i got him on trail camera the last time i saw him from the stand uh then the next trail camera picture i got of him was him coming back into the area after the season was over so uh i think there's a bigger reaction for deer who don't have that pressure but yeah so that's exactly i i I agree with you what i'm saying
1: That goes back to that deer's education right. being a result of the environment that that deer grew up in. Right. And, and I've noticed when I, when I spent the last quite a few years watching one particular deer, I've really noticed that every deer is a lot different than the next deer. Right, right. They're, they're all individuals. And every year, even on my private, I do something a little different. Most of the time I kill them out of a new stand I hung that year. It's not the the same old stands every year. They're all just a little different than the next. So they all have the same goals and same objectives, but they do it just a little bit differently.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So other than that, then anything else about pressure or what you've learned in uh, hunting public this year that you feel, I guess your education on private and your success on private that has helped you translate into connecting, you know, trying to connect the dots, uh, with a public land buck. Um, what have been some of the biggest difficulties, uh, this year as opposed to any other year?
1: Well, the first one with me is, uh, and I'm trying to get over this is I, I don't i have hunted private for so long now. I don't have that mentality yet of public is all of ours. And I see guys in areas where I want to go into and I'd, I'd hate to go in there and screw up a haunt. I kind of steer away from a lot of areas that I, I know I want to be in when I get there because there's a couple cars in the parking lot. A lot of people would say that, well, Hey, that's, that's good. Anyways, you don't want to be there with other people out there. But the way I hunt that, it. I kind of want them people there yeah it's a you know this public chunks a pretty big you know it's a pretty big huge area if that deer had all that area to hide from just me it'd be hard to get on them with all them other people out there they're scratching off a lot of area that I don't
0: have to look at now okay all right um so you almost want pressure in a way just so you have something else to play off of
1: I think due to the way that I hunt and the way that I watch other people like I do, that's that's the reason, yeah. Okay. Like, even on private, I watch my neighbors constantly, what they're doing, how they're accessing to their stands, how long they're sitting, what, they're, what the wind is for where they're going, and how's that going to work out for them. I'm paying attention to all that stuff because I set up off that. Because even on my private, I'll bed some deer on my private occasionally, but most of the, the best buck bedding is outside of my property. So I'm, I'm kind of looking for, you know, I set up scenarios where my neighbors wind bump deer in their bedding areas to me, just by the way they access. I set up off of what other people are doing and I've been really successful doing it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let me, let me ask you this. Let me
1: say this about the private and public real fast is during the week, the public that I've been on is way less pressured than my private. Really? It's consistently. During the weekend, it's maybe a little bit more, but they're really a close. You know, the public might be a little bit more pressured during the, during the weekend, but now i am really not far off because at least in my area in Southern Michigan, there's somebody on every chunk. There's somebody on, there's a couple guys on my farm when I'm not here, you know there's um a guy on the next forty, a guy in the next twenty. It's just there's so much consistent pressure on private. The only thing that's really different to me is somebody can't come walking up under me and you know mess up my evening and that's all it would mess up. Some guy goes walking through your area and even if he spooks some deer, that deer's gonna be back. He got out of there. It worked for him. and We've we've heard that on many podcasts, and I I believe that. It works for the deer. There's no reason why he wouldn't come back and do it again.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What do you think then, you know, how do I ask this? What do you think most hunters are doing wrong? And the reason I ask that is because you are uh, also observing what hunters are doing right? So you're making a lot of moves off hunters. So you're watching other hunters. What do you feel the average guy who you've been watching share the same parking uh, lot with is doing wrong?
1: All right. Well, the first thing that I think a lot of people do wrong isn't so much what I observe, but it's most people are just too damn careful. And that's, that's, that sets a lot of people mind screw themselves into every reason why they shouldn't go to go do what they they think they thought all day about would be a sweet scenario and what they ought to do today and then they figure out a way to talk themselves out of it seems like that's one thing but uh from my observations man i know people know about it but most people don't pay attention to wind they they don't and i see it with neighbors and people on public and if and if they do pay attention to the wind they don't so much pay attention to the wind on their way there or even their access. They don't pay attention to their access at all. That's huge. My biggest thing I pay attention to on my private and on public, one of the big things I should say is, is my access. It don't matter how good of a spot you go to. If you let the deer know you're there on your way there. And that could be uh, a button buck. You jump up in a satellite bed that runs through the, runs through the swamp. And you think that that buck don't know what that means? You know, the big buck down in the swamp. Yeah. So that's access is, is one of the biggest in wind. A lot of people talk like they played the wind and a lot of people say they know about the wind, but when it comes down to being a sweet day and it's perfect scenario, everything's perfect other than the wind, most people are still going to go to their best spot. Yeah. I guess. So that's something I notice a lot.
0: So not necessarily what their wind is doing while they're in the tree stain, but what the wind is doing in their access routes. Yeah. I mean, that's
1: huge. Yeah. You know, you go blow your wind through an area that you plan on your deer are going to be in just to get there, which is, which is a quite a normal thing in Michigan because when you have small parcels, lots of small parcels you usually only have one direction to enter the to farm on or the piece of ground on and so your access is limited a lot right. of times you'll walk by a certain area and then you know that's kind of all in that you know the hand that you're dealt too. you sometimes you don't have that choice but man if you can if it's twice the walk do it yeah you know, to stay away from them, you use hippography. A lot of times you can be really close to where deer are if it drops off below or they're up above. And yeah. Just paying attention to my access is, is something that about three years ago I really started getting really strict on myself about. and Yeah, I've I really seen really seen a good result from that.
0: I gotcha. Okay, so do you think that's something that the average guy can fix? Because I, there, I feel there's two types of hunters out there. Well, there's more than two types of hunters, but there's the guy who, it, for some for some reason, it just clicks for him, right? Where they can they can use their brain, you know, like they can chew gum and walk at the same time, so to speak. So they can walk into a a, a chunk of ground and knowing what the wind is doing, observing their surroundings, they know how to get to a tree stand location. They know how to hunt terrain. And then there's guys who are, they just don't pay attention like they probably should. They may have a decent access route, but it's not great. And then they may have a decent wind, but it's never an aggressive wind, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I really think that, you know, some people just can feel it and some people just have to have to overthink, you know, to to get into the right spots. And it's I feel like the guys who they just absor- absorb their surroundings and uh, just are really observant are the people who are more successful.
1: Right. Well, it's, it's all it all goes on how much you want it. And that's anything in this world, whether it's racing a dirt bike, shooting a basketball, hunting a deer. And there's a lot of guys out there who want it really bad, but if you're the guy who actually truly loves it, really wants it, it's going to consume your life. Right. It's your year round. You're going to be doing it daily, year round. Something through your mind's going to pass about. At least you know. At least you're thinking about it. And I think that's the difference. If you look at all the su- successful guys in the hunting industry. There's there's lots of different ways to skin a cat on killing a, killing a deer. You can, there's lots of really successful people who do it different ways, but all them guys give it a little harder than the next guy. Gotcha. And like in any sport or any job or aspect in this life, the more you put into it, the more success you're going to get out of it.
0: Okay. So let's talk about this then. Um, going wh- – Based off of the information that you collected during scouting, information from you know, videoing deer from the road, trail camera pictures, what was your goal going into this, uh, this season then as far as trying to get, a, get it done on public?
1: Uh, as in like size of deer being the goal or just a deer or uh, size, what, age, cl- age class. I mean, well, I definitely, I, I want to shoot foreign what I believe to be a four and a half year old deer. I, I think it, I've found many that I know are at least that. And that's, that's what I stick for at, at home. So I I kept the same for public. I'm not really going to back down just because it's public. Gotcha. I, and that's just goes into more on how I feel about Michigan and how I feel Michigan's big buck, big buck hunting could be compared to what it is right now. And it's really close to, it's getting, it's getting better. It's gotten a lot better over the years and it's, it's so close to exploding. I just, yeah, I think it it could it, it would happen real quick if a lot of like minded people would
0: would change a few things. Yeah. But. So you, your goal is a four year old on public, um, and based off the scouting the trail camera and pictures, you know you you know that they're out there, right? So yeah. knowing that they're out there and then going in and hunting them are two different things. Um, Have you had any, any close calls or encounters so far this year with what you deemed a shooter?
1: Yeah. Yeah. First, first night I had opening opening evening. I had the buck. I went after come out about 40 yards away, working his way towards me was going to be at 25 and I don't know if she's seen a person or what she had seen, but a doe picked her head up and looked down past me where I couldn't see. Jotted her head back and forth really quick. I could tell she was seeing something and darted into the thicket. And Of course, the three bucks that come out, him included, followed her in. They came back out 15 minutes later, but they took a different direction into the field. They didn't have a shot. And I seen them, I called them the three amigos because I seen them same three bucks together five different times in the first eight days. And I was only within shooting range of them twice. And the one time was opening evening there I just described. And the next time was the last time I seen them on the 8th when they walked right underneath me after dark.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha okay so, so
1: i've been into them up until here the last couple of weeks have been pretty slow on public for me but i mean i that's 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 hunting I've, I've been pretty successful over the years and i know that it it takes a lot of grinding yeah i mean in between my last two bucks because i shot two years ago i shot on october 3rd and last year it was november 8th so there's a lot of deer hunting between them two deer yeah you know
0: absolutely. so what is the the next step for you as far as this season is concerned right what what kind of strategy do you find yourself going into using the next, I don't know uh, four weeks? Uh, stay right in the same area that I've been hunting keep
1: grinding away daily, watching, just trying to watch the people and find the in-betweens. That deer's not going to do the same thing every day. I just have to keep watching the people, seeing where the pressure is, and I'm going to catch that deer on one of them in-betweens. It it takes a little bit of time. Sometimes it's quick. Sometimes it takes a long time, you know?
0: Yeah. Now, uh, this time of year leading I guess if we if we want to call this the pre-rut leading up into the rut um, are you hunting let's talk a little bit about the terrain that you're finding yourself in I know that can change every single hunt but is there a uh I don't know a the law of averages brings you back to a specific place this time of year, whether it's hunting closer to a destination food source or hunting closer to beds or, um, you know, pinch points, transition areas, staging areas. Is there a place you consistently find yourself going back to?
1: So it's, it's been corn. I've been, I've tried to, you know, put myself in an area in between bedding and corn here for the last couple weeks. And I have seen, I have seen a lot of deer in the corn, but uh, right about now I'm really going to start switching over to hunting scrapes. If I can find any fresh sign, even if it's fresh rubs, you know, I'll, I'll think about that area. But uh, and I and I don't necessarily mean right on them too. A lot of times on my private, I'll find the rubs outside of bedding, facing a field where bedding is behind it like they're marking their territory. Right. So I'll hunt the food near there, hoping that they're going to, you know, come out there to get some inventory that evening. So scrapes are the biggest. So if I could find scrapes on a corn edge right now, I'd be, I'd be in it. corn gives you, you know, corn's great because one, they, they, they eat the heck out of it this time of year too. It's, it's, it's wonderful cover for them and a lot of deer in high pressured areas will spend time in that corn and what i notice about deer in the corn is they're they're really comfortable in corn like any de- most most time any deer catches my wind in the corn that deer 90% of the time he isn't going to blow isn't going to dart out of there like crazy but they know you're there right okay so, I I like the corn because the pressure's been on for a while, and it gives a mature buck I feel some security, food all in one. You get along the edge right now, there's a good scrape line, that would be that'd be my hot ticket.
0: Okay, um, so hot scrape line. What about further in the timber? You know, let let's just say you can't find that hot scrape line, or or you can't find that corn. Um, what what's plan B in an area then? Well, normally on my private I don't jump into the
1: timber until I know the rut's going. And that's just because of the situation of the train on my private and the bedding being on the neighbor's property and it makes my my property a great travelling corridor in between bedding that you catch bucks popping back and forth and these are two big bedding areas. And uh so that's that's why here I, I I wait until I see some really heavy action, which I'm kind of starting to see already. But uh, in public, I've already started to go a little bit deeper. But and, and I do, I do. I go real deep in a couple spots. But most areas, I'm not going as deep as everybody because everybody else is trying to get right down there as deep as they can. Gotcha. I'm trying to find the in-betweens in between a couple guys that don't want to go as deep, and they don't go really quite deep enough, usually an older guy or or whoever, I guess. Yeah. And then the guys who go real deep. I'm trying to find that happy medium in between there. That And that wasn't my plan, but that's what I've seen going in is you guys got there's, – or there's guys that barely make it off the road. There's guy, and the rest of them all want to go down to the center of the chunk where it's the nastiest. Yeah. So I'm public. My plan is to just keep watching the people. It it changes, you know, I I could tell you this is my plan now and it could change tomorrow because yeah. it's all going to be, it's all going to be, it's all going to change or all I'm watching is the people and I, I'm going to change and do as they do is, you know, the, early hunters falling out and new hunters are coming in. I've noticed. and So everybody's doing something a little different. I'll just
0: change with the deer and watch the people and change with them. Yeah. So I want to talk about, you know, if you were to envision you leaving your truck, walking into the timber, setting up and, and envision how you think you're going to kill your, your buck this year, walk us through how you envision you killing your buck on or getting an encounter with one of these, uh, these deer that you've deemed shootable. Uh, How, how's that going to go down this year?
1: Well, a lot of, a lot of like I just described, I truly think if I just keep on finding these in-betweens and, and I've pushed a little bit further in, I think that, if, if, that's, that's the way I see it I I guess I don't see it in a certain specific spot if I just keep on working on in between where all these other hunters are I'm going to end up finding one of these deer and, I, and I've and i been pretty good at not going back to the same spot myself too I've, I've hunted a different tree every set this year I've been completely mobile and if I just keep working my way around this big swamp, finding these little in-betweens that isn't far too. A lot of times I got a guy on 80 yards on one side of me and a hundred yards the other side of me. Yeah, It's so thick, it's extremely possible for a deer to slither right in between them two guys and make it to his food like he wanted to that evening with or without somebody being there. Yeah. And that's 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 what I find. Them deer, they still doing what deer do. People just think they're not there because them deer are onto them people.
0: Yeah. Do you think that the rut is going to make it harder for you uh to get on a deer or easier? Typically,
1: on private, I'm not a big fan of the rut. I actually, I shouldn't say that. I love the rut. I love to sit out there and watch the deer go crazy. It's a good time. But for the past quite a few years targeting one specific buck I, I want to get it done before the rut and I've been pretty good at doing that first week of October and the last week of October has been where I have my most success okay. but on public with how thick it is and how how large and vast how, how much the amount of habitat that's there for the deer to hide in I might need a little help from the old rut this year. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> After the first week, I, I didn't get it done. I I was so close that first night. I really, I was almost already celebrating before I even <laughs> had a shot at this year because it was just, everything was picture perfect and it was happening the way I planned it. And the, the buck was already moving towards me, already closer than 40 yards on his way to 25, you know. So outside of the first week on public, I think that the rut might, might be my better ticket, but I'm going to, I don't know yet because I don't have years in my belt at doing it. So I'm going to grind every day. Like I do, I'm going to be up there every chance that I have and figuring it out a little better than I did the day before, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I do think, I do think that, I may need some help from the old rut this year. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of looking that way.
0: Yeah, well, I tell you what, man, it's uh, one of those things where, you know, I, even even where I hunt, man, you can, I I used to have all these tree stands set up and ready to go for the, you know, for my rut vacation, right? I'd have, you know, seven to ten uh, tree stands up in one, you know, throughout the farms that I hunt and I found myself never hunting in any of them. So then what I did was I set up. So right now I have two tree stands up. One is downwind of a bedding area that are going to be near a bedding area that I have to have a specific wind to access and hunt. That's where I shot my buck last year. And I know that deer use it and they use it on a specific wind, and that's where that tree stand's going to go. And then I got another a travel corridor that's more of a rut stand, rut stand on a big ridge where the deer are coming through this big ridge pinch point. And oh, excuse me, I have three, and um, and another one is in a different bedding area on a different side of the farm, and and that's where I had I've had numerous encounters with deer throughout the year, so I just know those are good tree stand locations. But other than that, I think I only hunted those three or four times in 14 days last year and and then it was just tearing up setting down tearing up setting down tearing up setting down just to see you know kind of what's uh what's going on in in those areas and and uh making making that circuit looking for those deer on trail cameras and looking for those deer you know sightings from the stand and i don't know man it's it, like you said it's definitely a grind and it's definitely a chess match and uh, i think guys like us love doing it
1: yeah yeah i definitely love it it's been fun this year the, the the new grind i i still i love hunting my private and you know i'll i'll always do that but uh it's been fun to have a little different grind yeah and i've almost, I've pretty much fulfilled my younger fantasies of wanting to chase big specific bucks and and I've been able to do that and know and a buck. That was always something that was really cool to me when I was younger to, that there was guys out there that got to know these bucks for years on end until they shot them. And yeah. I didn't know anything about that. And uh, I have four years and five years. I call them relationships. I like to build a relationship with them before I get after them. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: but, uh, yeah, I've, you know, I got a four-year relationship with a buck and a five-year before I shot him, and and the it's it's just been a different grind this year. It's, it was fun doing that, and I, and I'm gonna stick to it. And one of the big reasons why it made it real easy for me to venture off onto public this year is I still haven't seen a buck I'd shoot on my private. Yeah, yeah. There's I also up my goals a little bit on my private, but. You know, I might have to go a year or two without getting one here, and that's that's what I think Michigan needs to jump over its hurdle too, like we talked about. Um, the biggest, well, I, I should say, definitely we know that with the amount the amount of year and a half that are shot in Michigan every year is, is, is a is a problem. Why we don't have a lot of bigger bucks, but I don't think that's the way to go at it. I think that everybody needs to start killing bigger bucks. The guys who are killing three-and-a-half-year-olds every year because it's Michigan and because that's, you know, the majority of what we have for a bigger buck, I think everybody needs to step up their game if they want better. If you're happy with what you're doing, stick with doing it. That's cool with me. But if you think you want better and you think you want to go to different states
0: just to get better, I think you can do it right here in Michigan. Yeah. Gotcha gotcha well brian man i really appreciate the conversation today again thanks for taking time out of your day to uh uh, or your life really to show me around while i was up there and you know point me in the right direction and give me some intel on the on the areas that we were hunting and uh thanks for taking your time today to chat chat with us and uh man i just want to pass on the Good luck this season, and uh, man, hopefully you slay. And I, I expect a text message from you when you do.
1: No, for sure, for sure. And you better keep me posted too.
0: All right. First off, thanks. huge thanks to Brian. Man, really appreciate not only you showing me around, filling me in on the properties. You know, talking to me about Michigan, uh, the culture there, the, uh, the type of hunting that one has to do on this high pressured public to be successful, man, it really opened my eyes to the way that other people hunt. And I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate, uh, you know, the time you took out of your life and your hunting schedule to help me. So that means a lot. So thanks for taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and chat with us. Huge shout out to all the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles. We got the Average Conservationist Apparel, Vortex Optics, Ozonic Scent Elimination, Wasp Archery, and Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast, man. I could, uh, you know, I really believe in all these companies. They're all participants in the you know, in the hunting community. And that's why I like using those products. So please go check them out and support the companies that support this podcast. So thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who have been listening since, whether it's day one or this is your first episode. I really appreciate your, your attention, I guess uh, you could say. And this is, what I'm about to say is the God's honest truth. I wish each and every one of you the best of luck this upcoming rut, man. I hope you guys all slay. You all accomplish whatever it is you want to accomplish, whether that's filling the freezer, shooting the first buck that walks by, or grinding it out for something special. Um, I, you know, I, I thank you and I wish you the best of luck. So, with that said, get out there, grind, be safe, and we'll talk to you next time.